Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate, and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson, and through my guests, we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com. For your curiosity and stuff. Hey, how's it going? It's Nick here, and we're ready with episode three of the Wavepool Mag podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Aaron Trevers from Down Under in Australia. Actually, he's in London as we speak. Now, we talk in depth about the history and the story of Surflex. Now, in the Wavepool world, there are about four major players at the moment um, there's Wave Garden, American Wave Machines, and Surflex. You'll all have seen this classic clip on YouTube and around the interwebs of this massive big Mad Max style plunger that just plunges down into and makes these concentric waves. Barton Lynch and Mark Akalupo are the ambassadors for the project and uh, you might have seen it through through them or just through directly through Surflex. It's a it's a classic amazing looking steam driven steampunk thing. It's just awesome but it's there's a lot more to it than this and we dig really deep into exactly what makes this tick what makes the company tick and a lot of this is all due to Aaron Travis's amazing vision and his unwavering determination to get this thing right so here you go Aaron Travis Good day Aaron thanks so much for joining us on the Wavepool Mag podcast Hi Nick nice to be here Yeah it's great to have you so you're not actually in Australia right now where where are you in the world No in the UK we've um Got the family based over here at the moment for my son's soccer or football scholarship. And uh, so this is home base, which is actually quite handy to Europe and the rest of the world. Australia is a long way from everywhere else. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a commute there, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So <laughs> once you get every a few months. Once every few months, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you and your team are responsible for creating a massive wave and a massive lake in what appears to be the middle of nowhere. I don't know if it is or not, but how, how did it start? And, and give us a little bit of background about yourself. Yeah, so the town, Yapoon, where, it's, uh, where we've built the, the demo is actually where I spent my teenage years growing up. And it was never our plan to, to build it there, but we just happened to manage to get a, a great landowner and a great council who let us build that giant test pit, basically. So, yeah, I grew up there on the coast and then drifted away and then uh, eventually got into um, building wave pools, ended up back in Yapoon. But what, uh, just quickly, what was life like growing up in, in Yapoon? Actually, very nice. It's a really, you know, it's sort of a, at the time it was a sleepy seaside village. It's obviously a bit more now. But, uh, no, it's, it's great to live near the coast and we lived on 25 acres of land. So we had old cars and motorbikes and I could um, get up to the beach from time to time once I'd learnt to surf, and I just loved it. It was a really idyllic kind of lifestyle in a way. So did the ocean play a major role in your upbringing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess more from you know, the teenage years onwards uh, where I discovered surfing and just fell in love with it like people do. And for me, it was the great escape, if you like. So um, I would get up there as, as, as much as I could. I wasn't so much into the fishing side or the boating. It was really about going to the beach and uh, and surfing. So I would walk, if mum wouldn't drive me, I would walk up the, probably I think it was like seven kilometres to the beach and then another seven k's up. So you'd walk a long way to get there and then hitch a ride 
up or back or whatever I could after a four-hour surf. Oh, sounds amazing, like an amazing outdoor childhood. Just It was, yeah, big adventure. It was unreal. We used to camp up there on the Friday nights after school sometimes when we were in the senior years, and we'd all sleep in the dunes and roll out of the dunes before sun up at first light to jump straight into the waves and get as much as we could. Is that kind of lifestyle still possible, do you think, for kids in, in Australia? Well, it is in those sort of places. I don't know where in the city areas, but certainly in those country areas it is. Uh, you just It's a choice, I suppose. You make the most of it. Absolutely. Because, I mean, we used to grow up like that in South Africa, where I'm from, but it's, uh, it's a bit tricky now because we've got a heavy crime violence levels there. Well, that's it. And I guess that's the, the blessing of Australia being as secure as it is, and particularly that area of Queensland. You, yeah, you're fairly safe. So do you feel outdoor or wilderness sports like hiking, biking, surfing, etc. make people more environmentally aware? I think so, yeah, 100%. I mean, if you're out there enjoying the outdoors, it's front of mind, you're appreciating it, and then obviously you're aware of, of what's happening around the world, and and I guess you appreciate it more, so you want to preserve it. So no, it's 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 incredibly helpful. Because, like, for example, I've been doing stand-up paddle quite a lot. And when you get out there, we've done quite a few expeditions as well along rivers. And you see the litter and what people are doing to our planet. If you're sitting inside playing tennis, well, not inside, but if you're sitting inside playing squash or or out in a tennis court, you don't really feel exposed to that. No, correct, yeah. So, I mean, when when you're out in the outdoors, you appreciate the the majesty and and the beauty of it, but you also see where there's a problem. So I think it's just a healthy thing to do all around and obviously encourages people to take action to clean it up as best we can too. Yeah, because, I mean, this leads me on to the next question because we really are, without doubt, destroying the earth. And um, But with a project like this, there's a massive opportunity to, or to almost recreate nature. W- what do you feel about that? No, it's it actually aligns with uh, our motto, if you like, of everyone gets a break. We, we wanted to create something that... Uh, can recreate nature obviously in the form of the waves but then what we have the opportunity to do is around the shoreline is to to recreate you know beaches and coves and you could even build you know peninsulas and 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 create something that looks as natural as possible as well but then from that you've actually got the opportunity to rejuvenate the environment around the facility and so i've spoken with a number of people i've got a friend who's a he teaches uh, organic farming methods and land rejuvenation and so he's excited to get involved in projects as much as he can because along with that um, healthy activity um, we want to encourage people to have healthy bodies and think about the food that they take in and how that's grown and and that feeds into a whole conversation about you know the environment and healthy soils and and chemical free living etc so you know i've got a long way to go to get there and as we do as a project but the goal is ultimately to rejuvenate each environment and then provide education along with that so if somebody for example came to you and said look i really want to put a wave pool up in a shopping center in the middle of a city would you say no or or how how do you feel about that i guess it depends on how you do it because you know it's not that it's it's a funny thing it's a two-edged sword because for us we don't want to dictate to others what they how they enjoy the waves. There's a lot of urban settings which which can make sense as well. But what we'd encourage is to try to, again, create an environment that brings people that ocean experience as well as the waves. And that's why our vision is, you know, bring the gift of surfing and the ocean experience 
and accessible to all. So for us, it's more than just waves, like a sterile wave pool is not really what we want. Um, so it needs to create more of an ocean experience as well so people can actually make a real connection there. Albeit it could be a thousand miles inland, but at least it brings that experience that they can then appreciate and then hopefully educate them on on the state of the ocean and what we can do to improve it as well. Mm, okay. Excellent. So can you take us back to um, to the Yapoon pool and, and how did that start about? Did you just get an idea one day and say, well, I want to make a wave pool? How did, how did that come to you? Well, it's a really long story. Uh, but <laughs> this, <laughs> I had another idea earlier on, um, which, uh, uh, wow, we'd need another hour to talk through that. But um, look, this one, the, the inspiration for the idea was skimming rocks with my kids who were at a lake. And, you know, as you do, you skim rocks as a dad. And I was showing off with ever bigger rocks lumping them into the lake and watching these ripples come out along the shore and of course I was mind surfing these little waves because they seemed to roll on forever and so that just looked interesting to me and I thought as an engineer how do we make those big enough to surf and then a few things happened of more of a spiritual confirmation if you like that it was something I needed to do so eventually I got started and and testing and developing in little prototypes in a friend's paddock and then got some money, got a bigger prototype and proved that every time we touched this thing, it got better and better. And eventually, you know, millions of dollars later and this giant site in Yapoon and we've created some amazing waves. So it's really incredible. Back in your friend's paddock, were you doing that all on your own? I, yeah, started off with me and a, a credit card and a very patient wife. And so, so um, she just knew that I needed to get it out of my system one way or another. So she let me run, run ahead and do it without making a fuss so that was really nice but the thing worked so that <laughs> it just kept going so so when it worked you take did you take that and go and pitch it to finance people or did you did you try and build your team at that stage because it's very difficult to try and figure out what to do next yeah well um a bit of both uh had a guy called chris hawley who came uh in very early so dr chris hawley from ingenuity solutions and and I knew his father through another network, and so we connected, and he loved the idea. And with the engineering team, they came in and helped me make it into a, a machine, an actual automated proper piece of engineering. And so they did all of the the, the follow-up work. We had some preliminary work done with some other friends who'd helped out, but um, but they really took on the challenge of figuring out how we can make it work at full scale. And so Chris and Kit and Amy and... and um, Ben and Jason, a whole heap of people there eventually got involved to um, make it an actual working mechanism with a, a patented system that we've developed to, to drive it at a big scale. When do you think there was the, the biggest sort of watershed moment where you, you got to the next level? Gee, there was quite a few. Uh, I, I think the, the reality down in uh, Broadford, we had a one-fifth scale at a, a friend and investor Charles Foster, uh, at his property in Victoria. And I was taking some investors around, and the waves were probably uh, 40 centimetres high, and I was looking at these grown men who are you know, hardened businessmen with you know years of surfing Indonesia in perfect barrels, and they were running around with their arms in the air, giggling like kids and hooting at these waves. And I thought, you know, we've done it. This, if we can get... These hard-nosed guys so excited about 40-centimetre waves. Imagine what's going to happen when we make this at full scale. And that, to me, was a real tipping point where we just 
I mean, I always knew it was going to work and I knew we'd be able to solve the problems and just keep pressing on. But to see that was a really cool moment. But surely there must have been times. I mean, you say you knew it was going to work, but there was there's a lot to get through to go from 40 centimeters to, to full size. Yeah. Weren't there moments of complete despair at, at any time? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I had quite a lot of those. Um, but uh, I guess, look, for me, it was, again, it's probably a spiritual moment where it was a real confirmation that it would, it would happen. Just, so for me, from a faith perspective, there was no doubt it was a done deal and we would get to those full-size waves. Um, from a science and practicality perspective, there was 658 problems to solve between there and you know, where we were. So we just had to keep pressing on and resolving those matters one by one, whether it was funding or engineering or approvals or whatever. So, But, you've, but if you lose the belief, you lost everything. So you have to actually believe from the beginning that it will happen and then then put the work in to ensure that it does. And thankfully, we've got some pretty patient shareholders who come in at various stages. And like I said, by then, a growing team of people who wasn't just my dream then, it was Rubens and Wayne's and Chris's and so many others who've contributed. Um, and so it became our dream. And with that, you get a bit of momentum and a whole team pushing forward. It's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, and at Yapoon, when you found the land, how, how did you find it? And just tell us a story about that, because that must have been, um, you'd be able to visualize it for the first time in, in full size. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, I knew one of the, uh, our friends from school who was on the council, and he recommended I speak to, um, that was Adam Bellow, and he recommended I speak to a lady called Mary Carroll from Capricorn Enterprise. You know, they obviously promote the region. And she recommended that this area where we put it would be ideal between Rockhampton and Yapoon. And I knew a, one couple who had some land there, but it wasn't good for them. They said, ring the neighbour. And it turns out he was willing to let us lease his land for for nothing for a couple of years. And then, you know, an ongoing lease. So he was just willing to give it a shot. He got excited and thought, what a cool idea. Come in and dig up my paddock. So I couldn't believe it. So he was very generous. That was a serious stroke of luck. Well, I guess, yeah. Luck or blessing, mate, whichever your perspective. But yeah, either way, we'll take it. It's, um, we're pretty happy with it. So that was Tony Champion. He's a great name and he's a true champion of the project. So he'll be there watching the waves. Oh, excellent. And um, what's the timeline for, for Yapoon or, or the project for the future with, with Yapoon? Are you going to open it to the public at all? Or? Look, we don't have approval for that. Um, yeah, my dream would be yes. But it's, again, it's a long road between where it is now as a prototype and, and all of the upgrade and approvals required and the you know, extra capital. So we, we, you know, we, we can't say we will because there is no approval to do so, but it's possible that someone could take the license for that area and decide to turn that into a big eco-tourist surfing resort and put the capital in themselves and do that. But for us, our focus is to, to license the technology into various parts of the world and feed the clients. Um, so that's really the main priority for us. And even though we've announced we wanted to do one at the Gold Coast, um, you know, that's a kind of an obvious place to, to put it with the number of tourists they get each year, etc. Um, yeah, we, we, we can't do everywhere. So we figured we'll focus on that one and let other people build the rest. Mm -hmm. So um, that that's always a question as well. If you're putting a wave pool right next to a good break, does that make sense? Because it can, because there's obviously a market for surfing there, but there's also um, a possibility to surf in the ocean. So what's your yeah. thinking there? Yeah, no, it's 
it's something that um, people have challenged and questioned before as well. So it's a two-edged sword because you, the, the surfers do have some choice. But as you're growing the surfing market, the crowd grows as well. Uh, and the reality is if you look at what we're doing and what most of the wave pools are doing, if done properly, most of the market will be the 99% of the world who've never yet surfed. And so providing a safe, predictable environment for them to learn to surf is is really a big driver of these businesses. And, you know, various surveys say that, you know, up to 83% of people who don't surf would if they could, you know, have the safe environment. It didn't have to be in the ocean. And, you know, they could develop the fitness to do that. Uh, then, yeah, they'd love to give it a shot. It's on the bucket list for many, many people. So that's, I guess, what we and the clients are banking on is that not only for surfers, but we will grow the surfing market um, by multiples. So that's, and I believe that's true because you know, learn to surf is con continuing to grow if people have access to it. And you look around places like London and various others, and most of the learn to surf market comes from the centre of the city. And they go down in this case over here, five hours to Cornwall or you know, a few hours down to Bournemouth and other areas to learn. So yeah, so we believe we believe it'll it'll work at the Gold Coast, it'll work pretty much anywhere there's a population. But um thing about the Gold Coast, you have a lot of surfers, there's a lot of times where the waves are rubbish, um, and you can't surf at night and you've got twelve million tourists a year. So you put all that together, um, easily turn that into a business. Mm-hmm. Must be an absolute dog show in the water there right now. At the Gold Coast? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's it can be. It depends where you go. Um, but yeah, certainly at Snapper and Cool and Gatter. Again, if you're if you're a good surfer and you're in there regularly, you can compete. But um, you know, I'm just not in there regularly enough, and uh, I find it hard to get a wave. To be honest. That's Napo. It's, it's all right paddling around with Oki. He can shepherd you into some, you know. I've managed to – he lets me drop in on him occasionally. And so he, he, he can cut a sway through the crowd. But when, as soon as he goes, I'm back on my own again. And I've got no chance. <laughs> well, that's a brilliant question, actually. How did you get in touch with Barton and Oki? Well, that's through the surf network, through, through Wayne Dart, um, who, was, who was working with Extra Capital. So Wayne was actually the first guy to contact me from Extra. And they were uh, raising money for various people. And Wayne knows everyone in the surfing industry. And so through him and Paul Munton and others, we connected with Oki and we connected with Barton. And, uh, yeah, Wayne continues to introduce the surf market to us. So that was a real real fun thing. I mean, Oki was one of my childhood idols, if you like, in, in the surfing world. He was my favourite Aussie surfer. Yeah, myself as well. Yeah, oh, he's a legend. Yeah. And just such a likeable guy. So it was nice to meet him, but now we're um, we're friends and... You know, I get to go surfing with him occasionally, which is really neat. Yeah, absolutely. And and Barton as well. I mean, obviously, he's on the WSL commentating all the time. And I know. He's a legend. Does he provide a, a lot of marketing pull for you? Yeah, look, Martin, Barton's terrific. We just want to get him up there on the waves. He missed the last uh, round because he was away. But um, no, Barton's terrific because he's got such insight um, and he can communicate it in a way that's uh, incredibly helpful. So... Uh, no, we love having Barton around. We hope to have him stick around for a long time. And uh, again, another another legend in the Australian surfing scene. But the great thing is he's as current as can be too with you know, that uh, commentating position on the WSL. Sure, absolutely, yeah. But um, looking uh, talking about commentating on the WSL, I mean, last week, this weekend, we've just had the second Freshwater Pro in Kelly's pool. Yeah, yeah. How did you think that went? 
in your eyes? Well, I, I've seen the highlights. I mean, it's, it looks amazing. I thought, well, I, I don't know if it was just me, but it looked like they're just getting better and better on this way. They've just got it wired. Um, and so the performances were, were quite outstanding. I mean, I haven't I haven't been there, so I can't. I don't know what it's like. I'm sure there's an atmosphere, but but certainly I thought it was I thought it was cool. I like wave pills, so uh, if you love wave pills, you think that's great. Because there's a lot of talk. Yeah, exactly. There's, I mean, there's wave pools and wave pools. I think because there's a lot of talk uh, online now about that's the last one they're going to have. The surfers weren't very happy with it. It was just boring as all hell. Um, how do you see the future of contests and wave pools? Uh, yeah, I guess the the for the surfers it's a challenge if you've got in in that sense the trade off you've got this really long wave but it's only one wave so the other surfers can't warm up they can't participate and, and so it's very limited. Um, I guess what we love about our system is that you could have a competition on one break you might have the competition at Rocky's Peak which leaves you six other waves to practice on. Um, at the same time, so the surfers can be warming up over on the beach break or you know one of the other waves. At the same time, the competition is going on because you're creating all those waves all at once. So, and, and what it also produces then, with all that variety happening, is is the opportunity to have new competition formats, where you could have a heat, for example, where they have to search each of those eight waves. They have to search the beach break on the left and the right. Uh, the hollow waves on the left and the right, the island slab, they have to handle as well. And so the surfer has to rotate around eight of those waves and then they aggregate the score on those, for example. That's just one example of the type of heats that you could hold. That sounds brilliant. That sounds really exciting. So you can obviously have a lot of paddling involved. You could probably have more surfers in the water at any one time in any heat. Absolutely, yeah. And you could have teams. There's, there's you know, Wayne and, and Barton and others, and, and Oki's the same. You think, my gosh, all of the different opportunities that it creates with that variety and, and you know, obviously the peak size as well. At the moment, we've pushed it up to that 2.4-metre face. Uh, but in the commercial model, we can actually drive another metre of stroke on the machine. So you, you've got a bigger face again that can come. And we don't really know where the limit is with that. If you wanted to design a bigger one, you could. So for for exciting entertainment and competitions having you know overhead hollow barrels it's it's pretty neat and you know if you've got a 10 to 15 second rides on each of those that's enough you know you don't have to have 40 second rides because it's not a point break that's the point we're creating these great you know beach break style waves or reef breaks but yeah the competition format for us we we're really excited about that and we want to demonstrate that when we can because uh, it just opens up so many opportunities. Because it feels like wave pool competitions have got a bit of a false start. I mean, obviously you've got the stab higher down in BSR in, in Texas, which is doing really well. But this Lemoya competition just seemed like it's it's failed. And um, I know obviously the WSL is not going to say that, but it's it's quite concerning for for wave pools. But then again, you've got a completely different format going there. So well, absolutely, yeah. Ours is you know I guess a genuine surf stadium. You you could. Because you've got that 360-degree view, you could have 10,000 people sitting around the side of it, all getting a different piece of the action. Um, and meanwhile, the surfers, like I said, are, are warming up and practicing at the same time as the competition's on, and, and you could have all sorts of in-between entertainment. It, it, it is really the – I think it would be better than the ocean because of the close proximity, the variety, and the opportunity that it presents. So it – so yeah, we, 
I wouldn't discount wave pool competitions yet. You just got to get it in the right setting. Sure, absolutely. Okay, um, and we're very biased too. So yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, but I mean, obviously, it's your job to be bullish on wave pools. But let's just talk a little bit about um, the wave pool industry. How fast is it growing? Because what four years ago, Kelly opened Lemur, Snowdonia opened at a similar time, Enland opened and closed, BSR has just got into higher gear. Um, but it feels like for the last couple of years, nothing's really opened. What um, what's in the pipeline? Do you think? Yeah, well, I think Wave Garden have announced a number of projects that are brewing, um, and we're just getting started with ours. So we've you know we're about to make some announcements on licensees that are um, that are signing on, um, and so we expect the first commercial project to be rolling out by the end of next year in twenty twenty, the calendar year. So yeah, so there's a, a lot that's going to be happening uh, over the coming decade. As they as they ramp up, as people realise that they are, you know, commercially viable, um, and then again, the Olympics is a big driver. In fact, if you look at it, if you step back and look at the time that we're in, because of technology, um, and it's not just board technology, which which brings the prices of boards down and they can be mass produced for everyone, um, but also you know the internet and the availability of of, of uh, knowledge about surfing can multiply r- r- dramatically. So people are seeing all this imagery and getting excited about it. But then you've got the Olympics, which, what, love it or hate it, what it will do is bring surfing uh, visibility out to this you know, massive global audience that probably hadn't looked at it before, um, which is great because that will create a hunger for the industry. But then unless you have wave pools, most of them can't get to the waves anyway. And so then you can start planting wave pools around in those various markets so people can enjoy it. And with that comes all the benefits of surfing from a health perspective, from a mental health perspective, just from pure sports performance perspective. And so that will drive into it. So that's what we believe that in 10 years' time, you will see hundreds of wave pools and you will see the, the, the level of surfing through the roof because they can just practice, practice, practice. So you reckon they'll become as widespread as football stadiums? Eventually it could, yeah. I think that the, the issue is for small population areas, it's probably unlikely to happen unless you know, you've got a generous government that just wants to pay for it. Uh, it'll mainly be in the bigger cities. But I guess if you look at it, the bigger stadiums are mainly in the bigger cities anyway. So it's probably not much different. But do you see the price of the of them coming down, the construction price of, um, let's, let's call it surf stadiums, do you, do you see them coming down in the future? Because it seems like they're just going up. Yeah, like every technology, um, the competition will drive efficiency, which brings the price down. Uh, but at the same time, there's space for big construction and mega resorts as well. Um, so if you look at theme parks, you know, it was at um, Disney, I think it was, spent half a billion each on Star Wars World. Yeah. I mean, some giant numbers. Um, to entertain the crowd. So the imagination grows and so the projects grow. So there's no reason why those sort of things won't happen with some of the wave pools as well. Ours certainly has the opportunity to, to be larger than life. Uh, but I think by and large, most of them will be you know, probably a more efficient type model rather than go for the mega theme park model. But that's a good point about Disney because they've got Typhoon Lagoon right now. Do you reckon they're planning a dedicated wave pool? Uh, Disney, I haven't spoken to directly, uh, so they would have to be looking at it. 
Um, you know, we've heard whispers and rumours, but we haven't had real meetings with them. I don't know if the others have. But, you know, for them it has to be commercially viable and they have to have, you know, the numbers and the uh, the variety to get the, the people through to make it worthwhile, uh, particularly if they want to build some sort of accommodation around it so people can stay and enjoy their surf world resort or whatever they would call it. So, again, it puts us in a strong position. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, it certainly makes sense for them to be in that space now. Um, but for us, we just wanted to get to the place where we could prove what we're doing before we um, charge into their world, really. Sure, but I mean, I suppose um, like theme parks and also hotel groups would probably be highly interested in in setting up theme parks, uh, surf parks, as they did in Japan. I think it was, um, who built one in Japan? The Ocean Dome, Sheraton, I think, back in back about 10 years ago. Yeah. Or, more, or, or no, more, it was about 30 years ago. So they must be big clients, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So the, the resorts are uh, showing interest, property developers. So you've got uh, you know, a wide range of potential clients. Um, and you know, for, for us, it's everything from stoked and wealthy individuals through to governments that want to transform their entire country's tourism offering. Um, and you know, property developers, we've got another one that wants to build a high-end resort model for you know a fairly exclusive model uh, rather than waves for the masses it's really waves for those who can afford it um, because that works for them that's what they want to create so yeah it's really interesting the diversity that's that's coming at us now and we can cater for all those needs really so what do you think the best wave pool commercial plans for success are like hotels real estate timeshare surf only shopping centers water park combos what do you reckon is the best commercial plan I guess we'll see in time. I think for, for many, um, it, it's fitting to the land. So whatever their plan is and optimising, but I, I, I still think the property model around it makes a lot of sense. And we're seeing that with uh, groups like Crystal Lagoons in America who build these great stillwater lagoons and property developers are snapping those up so that they can activate their property and sell it at a premium. And they're doing quite well out of that. And so now we're having those conversations where they realise if we could do that with a stillwater lagoon, imagine what it would look like with waves. So you could build an entire little township around the surf lake um, because it becomes the focal point for the community. And so all of your retail and commercial activities laid around that and you can build an entire residential development as you cascade out from the central lake and you could shape it whichever way you want. So that's the, kind of the original vision for us. Um, and we're having those conversations now so we can see that being a popular model because the cost of the lake gets offset by the, the premium on the property prices and it's a bit of a done deal. But by the same token, you could do that with a resort and a hotel, you know, or if you've got a smaller footprint and it's just about getting through the masses, through the waves and the swimming, you could do that as well. So, yeah, it really just depends on the market you're in. Really, you, you can you can divide the model up many ways. And in our case, because there's four different wavefronts, you could actually have a private gated community at one end and the public surfing at the other end and you know, shopping centre on one side. So you could actually cater for all all of those models at the same time if you really wanted to. Are you at liberty to say anything about any projects at all at this stage or not really? Uh, well, just simply that we've got um, five license agreements that are being considered now uh, for the final stage if you like and we've got quite a number of others that are 
uh, you know, we've signed what we call heads of agreements where they've temporarily taken a territory, but they haven't got to that full license agreement yet. So the commercial projects are coming. Um, and that's, you know, America, Middle East, Australia, UK, and, um, and many more. So it is becoming a reality. And, you know, we see that perfect storm of those factors coming together. Uh, and I guess for us, we just want to do it in a way that's sustainable and then profitable so that everyone can win along the way so that it uh, can be there in 30 years' time, not just a quick win, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, that's super exciting times. And I really hope that you'll be able to keep us abreast of all the all the projects that are happening as, as time goes by. Because we'd love to hear about it. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you'll be the first to know, I'm sure. So we'll... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> When we when we get the new uh, the new evidence and announcements coming out in October, we'll uh, we'll pass it on. Excellent, Aaron. Thanks so much, and congratulations on such an amazing project. Really is awesome. Great. Thanks, Nick. Good on you. Bye bye. Well, huge thanks to Aaron for spending half an hour with us, telling us about the history and the story of his company, and how these guys are going to go and change the face of surfing. Well, I don't know. Do you think wave pools are going to change the face of surfing? I don't think it's likely for the next couple of years, but it's definitely going to have an impact. And um, the industry's gearing up for a major inflection point. This podcast is available on all podcast catches all around the world, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and on any other app that you can find that actually plays podcasts. So just get on there, search for Wavepool Mag, and subscribe. We'd love to hear any comments or any reviews that you'd like to leave on Apple iTunes or um, any, any other platform that you can, because um, we'd really like to hear from you. And we'd like to build a community. We really would. We're actually honestly intrigued by what you have to say. So please take the time. And if you have an opinion, let us know. Um, we'd love to discuss it. And you know, who knows, we might even be able to create a, a little bit of a forum where you can dial in and, and uh, we can talk about your, your issues and um, the things that that you feel are needing to be discussed. So thanks once again. Get on to www.wavepoolmag.com forward slash podcast to check out the show notes. And I'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Wavepool Mag. For your curiosity and stoke.